the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Ourgasm. This is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender. I am Lindsay G, and I use the pronouns she, her, or they, them. And I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her pronouns. So welcome back, everybody. I know that we left you on a cliffhanger last time because we said that we didn't know what we were going to be talking about next. But you said you didn't know. I knew the entire (laughs) time. You are so sneaky. Yeah, I totally didn't just like pick something that I was already researching for class this week. Of course not. We're way more rigorous than that. (laughs) (laughs) but uh we we have we have finally landed on ageism we want to talk about ageism and first things first i want to mention that um some people might not know what ageism is so we're gonna have to come up with a definition that we're using here uh but before we go into that do we have a little disclaimer in this podcast, we use the heteronormative terms of gender binary of men and women under the understanding that there are agender, androgynous, bigender, pangender, and gender fluid norms that exist outside of cis normativity. While we tend to use male and female as shorthand, this is not meant to undermine the very serious role of colonization in violence against two spirit and nonconforming individuals. Even more so, this is not meant to obscure the reality that two-spirit and non-conforming people are the most likely to experience sexual violence, as we have mentioned in earlier episodes. We do not believe in the gender binary, and I cannot say that loud enough. <laughs> Without fluidity, which is a Euro-Western construct that forced a strict gender division on our societies, which itself is a form of violence. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, I want to double back a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about not believing in the gender binary. Um, I don't know why it's, it's been on my mind a little bit lately, just talking about mm-hmm. gender identity and presentation and the binary nature of the way that, that we tend to think about it today. Um, and it's, this is like a concept that we talk about on the show all the time, but like the idea that we don't believe in the necessity or the objective reality of like man versus woman being like inherently separate of different things. And yet at the same time, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, in practice, in living in the world, they do exist as social constructs. So although these things that we don't, support or really believe in as objective truths um although we we denounce them we live with them we deal with them and we're impacted by them every day um and i don't know i'm not really going anywhere in particular with this little ramble it's just something that's been absolutely important yeah uh Uh, And that reminds me of something that I've been like really, really thinking about as well lately about how we talk a lot about the patriarchy. Right. And I don't want like anyone to think that we hate all men or anything like that because it's not true. Or I should say we all, that we hate all cis white men. Yeah. My point is, is that we don't see patriarchy as that, but as a system that is um, constructed through colonization, not only of like land, but also of mind and body and culture. And so it's a thing that we talk about and that we're working on deconstructing in a way that makes people think about it a little bit more deeply. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's not. So I was thinking about that a little bit like recently. and I was reading this book called Life Stages of Native Women hmm. um, by Kim Anderson. Cool. And they talk a lot about um, 
the the book is basically like teachings and story medicine of like stages of life and it starts with babies and then it works its way up into elders Hmm. and that got me thinking a lot about ageism in our society today and how differently we see old people right yeah yeah I think that is a really good place to start because basically like you just sort of define the way that we're talking about the patriarchy here you know patriarchy like you said doesn't mean all men it means this system that we have all been brought up in um that for the most part has been nameless through most of our experience like you know it's not like we grow up recognizing like oh that's a symptom of the patriarchy it's instead it's just this is how things are you know men are this way women are that way men do this women do that and it reaches into literally every facet of our lives um yes and in the same way i feel like ageism is this almost unnamed like rarely discussed hugely prevalent reality that we live with where you know older people are not seen as human beings almost they're they're pushed to the margins um in almost every way and that looks wildly different for different groups of people um but you know i i think that it is such a prevalent reality that we don't consider older people to be as valid um, as younger people that it is almost like invisible to us that it exists so we want to talk about ageism on this episode um first by defining it which is i don't i didn't actually look up a merriam-webster definition this time which i feel like i've been doing a lot lately and i'm kicking myself for it um but you know ageism is basically the system that devalues older people's lives um, and allows them, in my experience, I'm thinking of, you know, jokes and slights that I hear made regularly about older people, um, especially when it comes to, like, any mention of older people being, like, sexy or sexually active. If you mention yeah. that in almost any circle or on any TV show or anywhere, it almost always gets this like, ew, reaction. And it's funny. And we can all laugh about how funny that is together. And that is fucked up. Like, <laughs> that is fundamentally fucked up that anybody's lived existence and especially their sexual expression would be the butt of a joke. And yet it it is so commonly the butt of a joke that most of us just respond to any mention of it as a joke without even thinking about it. It's like our learned response. So that's only one way in which ageism shows itself, but it's something that I have been researching and thinking about. Yeah. So I looked up like the World Health Organization's definition of sexuality Hmm. for this topic. And it is the integration of somatic, emotional, intellectual, and social aspects of sexual being in ways that are positive, enriching, and that enhance personality, community, and love. Oh, I like and that. So, yeah, it includes like notions of intimacy where there's like close association and familiarity and shared personal knowledge between the people who are experiencing it. And also suggests a degree of, like, caring. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, The point was was that there wasn't anything about age or gender or anything else. Yeah. um, Patriarchy or, you know, anything included in that definition. Yeah, they're just talking about people. Why? Yeah, right. And so why would we exclude anyone from sexuality? Right. Yeah. That's a really good question. And also, like, good job, WHO. That makes me feel good. (laughs) (laughs) So, but only recently I've noticed researchers are beginning to, like, note fluidity in sexuality, like, over the course of the lifespan. Mm -hmm. Um, In this book that I was reading this week, 
she talks about how like she was able to find a lot of ethnography about like women in their middle ages and adult women who haven't reached grandmotherhood or elderhood yet. And she couldn't find much about menopausal like ceremony or anything like that Hmm. for the uh, research that she was doing. And so I'm going to be 40 sometime in the future soon. (laughs) (laughs) Someday. uh, Someday I'm going to be. um, But I also have adult children. And so I was thinking about like what, like how some societies, some tribal societies consider you an elder once you have had a grandchild that really got me thinking about how not far in the future it is where I would be considered an elder and what that yeah. meant for me in terms of like sexuality and and right. all the other things that go along with age. I actually kind of dove into this last year, no, two years ago. I was writing a werewolf screenplay that I never finished. Yet. <laughs> so like, Yet. Anyone, uh, <laughs> and and there was like somebody who wanted a treatment for it. So if I ever do finish it, it may actually even get made. Woo! Uh, called Menopause, <laughs> P-A-W-S. And it's a werewolf movie where a woman is going through the change, but the change isn't menopause. She's just turning into a werewolf. Oh my God. Yes. That's like, that's the opposite of what you usually see when people talk about, yeah. you know. Any any kind of film about, you know, somebody going through change and learning about superpowers, it's always puberty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is like a horror film. And so she keeps going to like doctors and the doctors are like, no, no, like they just keep like brushing it off as women's problems. And somebody could have caught that she was eating human beings or, you know, <laughs> things like that. Like this entire time she's been going to doctors and they've just like poo-pooed it as like menopause and like the horror of like being a woman and not being taken seriously by your doctor and being somebody who doesn't know what's going on with your body and so like having to figure that out and then learning that you're a monster okay (laughs) like really actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you're actually you know you have lycanthropy which (laughs) based on all of the horror films that I've seen over the years I think is treatable (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah with a silver bullet Zing. <laughs> uh, no I I was reading a little bit about that and thinking about that earlier too the that um women as a hugely diverse group unto themselves are so often not taken seriously by the medical community you know we're we're basically still treated as hysterical all the time um you know like mm-hmm. oh women women report pain a lot more often than men. And that's because women have pain a lot, apparently. Um, And we actually can handle a lot of pain. But often when we go to a doctor's office and we say, hey, I'm having a lot of pain, we get, we get laughed out of the office, you know, in one way or another. They think that we're making it up. They think that we're looking for drugs. They think that we're looking for attention. They think that we're being hysterical. Um, And when you add to that experience that's experienced by most female identified people across their lives the fact that as you age you are taken even less seriously by the Mm -hmm. dominant culture and by the medical industry the idea of going into a doctor's office as an older woman with a problem that you can't identify is terrifying unto itself like lycanthropy or no lycanthropy (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's so messed up because like the dominant idealized notion of like being young looking and physically attractive and sexually active is all like somehow combined when really those things don't have anything to do with each other. Mm. And what it does is it applies like it implies that there's a right or wrong way to age or that there's right. an unsuccessful or successful way to age. And so when somebody is like, like, you know, they have gray hair and, you know, they have pain in their back and knees. I'm 
describing myself. to the doctor like it is it's scary how not important that is to that doctor well I feel like there's there's this idea that like oh yeah when you're older everything hurts and your life sucks so don't go to the doctor about it what's the doctor gonna do you're just old like that's not helpful (laughs) that's not doing any good for anybody my point was what I was getting at earlier was that all of these things are treatable in young people right for old people, they're just considered normal and part of the aging process. Yeah, and I that's think that's a really so good discriminatory point. when we can treat it in some people but not others. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, your knees hurt. Oh, you're just okay. old. Go home. Yeah. Like, well, that it's not great to be living with knee pain, and but yeah, it's like um, there's like a a devaluation of the quality of life for older people, and um, right. Yeah. And like, there's no, there's no reason that older people should be just like disqualified from doing all the things that they want to do, or just like left to be uncomfortable every time they move because they're old. But I think that is the expectation. Um, Like, and you know, we all like, we all grew up with these images of, you know, like frail, helpless, older people. And like, well, yes, it is true that aging does take a toll on your body. And we're not saying that like every person above a certain age should still be like frolicking in the meadow, you know, like in the yogurt commercials where <laughs> like everybody's so happy, like, but at the same yes. time, um, yeah, it does. It seems that uh, there's, there's a level of invisibility where uh, people, they're, they're not being treated like people, they're being treated like old people and that is a different thing it's a different category um and i i was thinking about like why why this is particularly a problem that needs to be addressed in through the lens of colonization and patriarchy um and the there are several that really popped out to me but one that really hit me uh in my own thinking was that particularly when applied to women, the categorization of being old makes you very invisible in our culture. And that inherently undermines all of the wisdom that you have gathered over the course of your life. And it invisibilizes you to the point where the contributions that as an elder you know, as a person who has so much experience and has learned so much over the course of their lives, all of that gets disappeared. And we're basically functionally taking the role of, you know, a statesperson and an elder, like a valued member of society away from older women who may have a lot of really important, possibly destabilizing things to say. And I think that is very much, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's on purpose, but it certainly serves a purpose for the systems that are in place and the powers that be to silence older women. Right. For a lot of old people, there's a lot of key myths that have been conceptualized in relation to older people's sexuality. And so some of those are like lack of sexual desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that includes looking at sexuality only from a biomedical perspective for old people. Yeah, like treating sexuality as a medical problem. Like, it's all, um, especially for women. Like, I was just, you know, looking through some websites um, that I found when I searched for uh, ageism and sexuality. And they were all like, menopause makes you vaginally dry. See a doctor. And it's like, could we could we talk about anything aside from vaginal dryness like could we just I yeah. mean sure that's a real thing I don't want to say that that doesn't happen and that people don't you know shouldn't be entitled to treatment for it but there's a whole lot of other things that I'm sure go on for older people you know or, yeah, that have I to mean, do with vaginas aside from the dryness issue like <laughs> it's the, like the little blue pill is also like that's associated with old people when right. people evolve different ages use it for different reasons yeah um also the physical unattractiveness and undesirability of older people Mm -hmm. which is um again particularly evident in relation to gender yeah 
the idea that it's shameful and perverse for older people to engage in sexual activity. Mm-hmm. And the invisibility of older LGBTQIA right, uh, community yeah. members and individuals who may need to return to the closet later in life. Uh, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I guess um, one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see as as we age is people who have lived their lives, you know, as openly gay. Um aging in much greater numbers over time and seeing kind of you know how that changes things and same for you know trans folks especially I think the way that things are medicalized for older people is going to have to be applied to a larger and larger trans populations and I think we're going to start to see a lot of the ways that um, the medical community has failed us by breaking things down into cisgender male, cisgender female, and leaving it at that. Right. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a shame that society has forced that to happen, like people to go into the closet when they're older, to go back into the closet when they're older. You know, that's something that shouldn't, shouldn't exist. Um, It's really interesting for me to think about, like, when I was a kid, Um, And I think about the associations that I had with, you know, quote, old people. If I were a kid now, what my association with, quote, old people would be. If, like, any of the the visual things that come to mind would overlap at all, or if things have really changed in any way. Um, And I was thinking about this before, but then today, while I was doing some research, I came across this, um, this meme, I guess, that popped up after last year's Super Bowl where J-Lo was the, the halftime act. And yeah. last year, at her during her halftime act, she was 50 years old. And mm-hmm. I remember there being a big discussion about that and people were like, wow, she's 50 and she's so fit and sexy and J-Lo, wow. So somebody made um, a meme that has a picture of Blanche Devereaux from the Golden Girls. Uh-huh. And it says, 50 years old in 1985. And then next to it is an image of J-Lo pole dancing <laughs> at the halftime show. And it says 50 <laughs> years old in 2020. And the difference between the two pictures is supposed to be really stark. Like, oh, yeah. Blanche looks so old. You know, she's got the like old lady kind of haircut. She's got the shoulder pads. You know, she's got the like the look of an older woman as we imagined older women in 1985. And then JLo, you know, obviously is like super freaking muscular and like climbing up the pole and she's got this long flowing hair and she's like, so she's very youthful looking, right? Um, And there's like so many things in that one image that I was like amazed by. But the first one would be that in 1985, when I was young and the Golden Girls is coming out, Blanche Devereaux, did not look old to me. <laughs> she was not what I thought of when I thought of an old woman. She was the sexy one. She was the like, the very, you know, vital and exuberant and energetic and sexually active one on the Golden Girls who was supposed to be like the youngest of them. Yeah, but here's the other thing though. Like in Golden Girls, they were made up to look like what society thought that old people should look like at that time. Mm, good point none of them were that old ridiculous because yeah none of them were that old but it's also ridiculous because you have actual women who are that age at that time who could easily look at okay look at designing women yeah oh god god I gotta rewatch that show it's been a long time (laughs) (laughs) I will I will rewatch that with you awesome um the women are like really not that much younger I think they're almost the same age, even as like uh, Blanche was in huh. Golden Girls, and but they're like considered like these southern like business women, and they're uh, all like beautiful, and they're all like mouthy, and they're all they're all the sexy one in different ways, you know. Yeah, true. Uh, and so, like, they're taking this image of Blanche Devereaux, who is made up to look like what people think old with old old people should look like next to a woman who is out there doing her thing not made up to look like an old woman she's made up to look like herself huh she's made up she's made up to look like an icon 
you know yeah that's the difference between those pictures that people were putting up that is a really good point I love that yeah like yeah and it, it brings up the idea that they're like that as you age you are supposed to become less yourself somehow like you're supposed to I don't know fall in line with what we think old people are like the weird thing about that is that um and I have experienced this myself and I have heard a lot of people I know talk about it and I have read a lot about it is that particularly for women many many women certainly not all um as they age (laughs) do sort of become more themselves they start giving less of a fuck about what other people think of them and start you know living more for themselves for a really long list of reasons um and yet when we when we portray older people and when we talk about older people we still tend to think of them in this lumped together category where like they all have the same haircut and they all wear the same ugly clothes and they don't really do much except for buy insurance (laughs) like you know what what's going on with that why is that why are we erasing the lived experiences of so many people who are supposed to be the people we're looking up to you know there's a preoccupation with sexuality and belief about what normal and appropriate sexual behavior means to yeah. different age groups. And and like you said, media erases people who work to build our sense of what is normal or abnormal for society. We imitate it and then it reflects what's happening in the world. Like it clearly contributes to ageism. Yeah. I mean, let's explore some of the stereotypes. Like, let's talk about the cougar for a minute. Oh, my God. I was just going to bring this up. Um, <laughs> because I, as, as we may know, uh, I happen to know a lot about pornography. And I have done a ton of research and writing about various things in porn. But one thing that has really interested me for a long time is the MILFs and cougars phenomenon in pornography. And... A really interesting truth about porn is that we are, we are more or less always expecting if we go to a porn website to see young people, particularly young women, because we have been socialized to think of youth as the equivalent of sexy when it comes to women's bodies Um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. And I could go on a whole rant about that as well, but um, The reality is that MILF porn, you know, older women in porn, is way more popular as a category than younger younger women. In 2019, the year 2019, MILF was the fourth most searched term on Pornhub. Um, And it had been knocked down like one or two uh, notches for the year before that by the term Japanese, which rocketed up to number one or number two, I think, um, because people mm-hmm. in Japan suddenly started using Pornhub like way more than they had before. <laughs> so uh, things were a little bit upset, but I think before that, MILF was number two or number three. So in 2019, MILF was the fourth most searched term on Pornhub, which is one of the world's biggest porn websites. Um, and the term teen, which is pretty much you know porn shorthand for anyone who's not a MILF, was mm-hmm. number da, 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 number 11. So MILF is a full eight spots above teen when it comes to what people are looking for in pornography. And there's kind of two ways of looking at that. One being that because the women in porn are assumed to be young, that you must label older women as MILFs in order for people to find them. So you kind of say that, well, maybe the MILF category isn't as big as the rest of everything that is porn. And so it's still a subset. But on the other hand, if people know specifically what they're looking for and they go to Pornhub and they type in the search term for what they want, it is way more often going to be MILF than teen. So what that implies to me is that a lot more people are interested in more mature looking women than in young women, but that completely flips the script of what we are 
sort of taught to find attractive, which is youth, particularly in women. Um, and I just think that that is very interesting. Um, I think that's very interesting as well. And I think also being able to see myself be represented in the porn that I want yeah. to watch, you know. And so obviously I'm going to look for the list of words that I look up to search are obviously going to be like at least reflecting myself in some way or you know how I would see myself in different situations yeah that may have mean that I have to type in the word no <laughs> maybe in a live episode uh somewhere in the near future uh we'll tell you what our our Pornhub recipes are oh my god I'm, oh I'm, we'll have to get drunk before that to, one yeah we're gonna like get drunk on camera and uh talk about answer your questions and do all that stuff and um someday soon you, when we're both vaccinated and we can hang out again yeah i mean we by the way everybody lenny is fully vaccinated as of this I'm recording fully vaccinated Woo! heck yeah i am what like two weeks away from going out and living your best life still safely yeah. and with a mask on and i made it through both of them i got a little sick on the second one but guess what I'm still standing. Woo! Okay, I sang. I did it. Thank you. That happened. The fans are going <laughs> to lose it. <laughs> They're going to be so excited. Um, um, okay, where were we? Oh, we're <laughs> talking about the cougar in the milk. The milk. Um, in, in, like, not porn, though, uh, on regular TV, these two, like, the cougar in the milk, like, portray negative aspects of women they reinforce the concept of most older persons as asexual because they are hypersexualized and there's no in between right true um yeah. when i think about myself i don't think about myself as a milf or a cougar but as a power hungry bitch trying to hang on to her youth at all costs usually <laughs> at the expense of the fresh up-and-coming young woman protagonist <laughs> yeah well that, Actually, that, that's, that's my good. um, that's that's my Pornhub search recipe. <laughs> I just typed that in. Oh, I thought it was your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it's all of the above. It's my dating profile. Oh, yeah, it's everything. <laughs> oh God, those couples looking to bring in a third are probably just drooling over you. That's like yes. the role play scenarios are endless. <laughs> well, that one's mine. Uh, but I mean that is like that's the other one that we see in films is like the the power hungry bitch like Mm -hmm. uh, think of Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada right like that's all about like the young up-and-coming person coming into you know yeah this other woman trying to hold on to her job and feeling that she has to right Oh, and that's a whole other aspect of ageism is, you know, employment opportunities and the way that older people can't get hired because they are older. Um, And I think especially women, because there's this weird double standard where like up to a certain point, older men are very much considered, you know, they get the silver fox label, they get the dignified label, and they get the experienced label. And so like, if you're hiring an older man in a management or upper management position, you know that you're getting your money's worth because he knows what he's doing and he's been around. And when it comes to women, it's like the exact opposite. It's like, oh, why is she looking for a job? Like, oh, she must be desperate. Ew. Yeah, so, it, it and, is. It's it's messed up. And yeah. not only that, but like older people are underrepresented in like film and advertisements. Like they just stop appearing in film mm-hmm. at a certain age. Or like I see a lot of old people makeups these days. Like a lot of uh, yes. just hire old people to act in the and it never works. Film. It never looks right ever. Yeah. Except on This Is Us, they do a really, really good job. Interesting. Okay. But <laughs> when they do appear in these, they're ter- typically like peripheral or grouped with others in a specific context. Um, but there was As a like grandpa, one commercial. A yeah. 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 With their grandkids right. at the park, you know. Uh, laughing. And, oh, laughing. Yeah. So much laughing. And, 
taking medication and laughing and buying insurance. Yeah. yeah. And eating all of those things. That's <laughs> for their bowels. Yeah. I think that that's but what old people like, do, right? They buy insurance and they talk about their bowels. That's pretty much it. And their grandkids. I, mean, I do talk about like buying insurance and eating more fiber like all the time. So, <laughs> I mean, we're practicing. We're I almost ready. For, like 10 years. I have since my 20s. So, I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's. Um, but the thing is, is like there was like this commercial that I really loved that I wanted to like just bring up really quick. Okay. Uh, it was a Reese's peanut butter cup commercial and it mm. featured like this old man and this old woman and the old man's like eating the edges off of his peanut butter cup and the old woman's like all disgusted and she's like looking over at him and she's like nibble 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 that's all he ever does and the old man's like you're next my dear and she's <gasps> like oh and the commercial <laughs> like people went crazy and were like what that's so what they can they're dirty old man and dirty old lady you know and the fact that it made as big of a splash that it did like is totally like representative of like how little we see this kind of interaction Mm -hmm. and how much more we need to see it because that was fucking delightful that's great oh my god I haven't seen it but I want to I'll have to find it after this that's so cute yeah I'll send I'll send it to you Okay, so I want to talk about Ant-Man Spider-Man. Ooh, yeah, okay. I That is a really okay. good thing to talk about, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I feel like Aunt May shows how disconnected we can be when it comes to age. Because when you think that Aunt May is Spider-Man's aunt, I have kids that are the age of Spider-Man. And so it seems likely that Aunt May would be my sister, and would be around the same age as I am like that's just logically so we have like the super old Aunt May in the early 2000s Spider-Man series she is a Rosemary Harris by the way who is beautiful Mm -hmm. and Melissa Tomei who is the um, Tom Holland Spider-Man's aunt uh, I would date both of them today right now if (laughs) either of you want to go out with me this is me I'm speaking Rosemary Harris and Melissa Tomei to go out with me but uh at once but I'm just saying like <laughs> the age difference for those Aunt Mays is like massive yeah proof of like how disconnected like the media the casting people can be when it comes to like I know that Aunt May is supposed to be an old lady because of the comic books so don't right. get on me about that <laughs> we do know about comic books that, I swear <laughs> yeah. but that is I mean but like and that they wanted to stay true to that but that was like not quite right when it came to like what Aunt May should look like as an aunt right yeah I mean I guess maybe you could make you could make an argument that maybe she's great Aunt May but we just don't call her that because it's awkward but yeah I don't think that's what they were going for yeah it's Um, wild and then like the whole um there's like the whole running joke in the new Spider-Man movies that Aunt May is hot and it's like so unexpected and it like keeps it keeps coming up in the new Spider-Man movies and it's like yes we get it oh god she's an aunt how could she be attractive (laughs) yeah yeah exactly weird (laughs) and again we see that like implication of how youth and beauty are supposed to be tied to like sexuality whether that be like her sexuality or how sexually like attractive that she is to society Mm -hmm. and I think that because none of those things should be tied together at all yeah um that we need to think about that when we cast people into these roles in the future well I mean it really all comes back to I feel like the the other way that ageism really benefits colonization colonizers and patriarchy and you know all of the power systems that currently exist which is by tying a woman's attractiveness and value to her reproductive capacity because like 
this is a weird fact that I think I knew before, but I hadn't really put into context until the research I was doing it for uh, this episode today, um, which is the fact that, like, we tend to be conditioned into thinking that women are most attractive when they are very young, like early to mid, possibly into late 20s is kind of like, as far as Hollywood and, you know, most media is concerned, that's when women are attractive, right? And going back into earlier times in especially European culture, um, you could go a lot younger than we do now. We just don't anymore because it's not legal. Um, you know, they used to marry, like, especially nobility and royalty. They married those girls off when they were, like, 14, sometimes younger. So that's kind of where we're coming from, culturally speaking. Um, and 20s, like, mid-20s is when women are at their peak of fertility, medically speaking, right? But women's... And again, I'm talking about cisgender women here. I'm sorry for making it narrow. But generally speaking... Um, Cisgender women's sex drives go up after their fertility starts to go down. So that doesn't apply to everybody in all situations, but like overall, women tend to be (laughs) hornier as they are getting less fertile up until menopause. So like there's a very weird thing going on here and I may be implying weird at all Um, right like i'm basically implying that like we don't want women to enjoy their sexual bodies we want them to make babies for us i'm gonna i'm gonna gay it up a little bit here i don't think that it's (laughs) weird at all look at sarah paulson and helen taylor uh i don't know sarah paulson's wife what you don't know who do you know who either of them are no Oh my god! What what rock uh, am I under this time? <laughs> Sarah Paulson is in Ratchet and in American oh, Horror Story okay. and is fabulous and amazing. Okay, and I have not watched Taylor. those shows, but I can get the mental image of what she looks like. Got it. Yeah. Yes. She's married to Helen Taylor, who is also fabulous and amazing, but like everyone focuses on the age difference between Sarah and Holland Hmm. um and Sarah said that the fixation that society has on her and her wife is due to the obsession of like avoiding their own mentality as well as society's quote ageist thinking and the idea that to be old is to cease to have any desire right and so she but she says like that most of the attention is largely positive and when she does hear anything negative, she has zero tolerance for it. And Good. she also, a quote, says that anyone says anything about a person I love in a way that is disrespectful or cruel, and I want to cut a bitch. <laughs> I like but, that. <laughs> me too. What she's doing is she's breaking down this idea that we can only love a certain kind of person. Mm-hmm. And really, so... Uh, shows what we've been saying through this entire episode that the rules are made up right and that's not to say someone who is adamant on upholding those rules don't go out and hurt people who step outside that box but remembering that we can love you know I could easily fall in love with somebody who's like 75 years old right now and guess what that would be perfectly okay and everything could be fabulous or could be great. <laughs> I mean, one of the, the really interesting things that you can clearly see um, when you look at like the, the category of cougar versus its mirror, you know, like cougar being generally speaking an older woman with a younger partner um, and the opposite of that being, you know, an older man usually with a younger woman. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that we see those dynamics so differently culturally like if a younger woman you know marries or is in a relationship with an older man we usually see him as inherently taking advantage of her youth and beauty and she inherently taking advantage of his implied wealth right like gold Mm -hmm. digger that's what we tend Mm -hmm. to see but when you reverse that script and you have an older woman with a younger partner you don't 
usually see that younger partner being labeled as a gold digger because it's not assumed that an older woman is going to have wealth to go after. And if you do like see a dynamic where it looks like an older woman is taking advantage of a partner's like youth and wellness and beauty, it's like cheered on as opposed to being denigrated. And it's just, it's weird. Like what, I think that part of it comes probably directly from American Pie, honestly, where you're like, there's like, you're like cheering on the young guy for getting it on with an older woman. Like, wow, what a, what a notch on your bedpost. That's so cool, man. But you don't, there's not actually a feeling of real victimization going on, Mm -hmm. but you tend to see that as like the primary concern that we have for an older man taking advantage of a younger person. It's very bizarre. And I think that that's part of the idea that older women are like inherently ineffectual, you know, like kind of helpless and kind of not to be taken seriously, whereas older men are scary and possibly creepy and possibly trying to hurt you. Um, And not that I want older women to be scary and creepy and possibly trying to hurt you, but there's definitely a power difference there in the way that we see people of different genders when they're older. Um, But I did find some really interesting research on cougars, actually, like specifically, I think it was like the title of the paper is called like the cougar phenomenon or something, Um, Hmm. where uh, in 2015, these researchers used data from a national survey of family growth about relationship types, um, and they were looking for cougar dynamics. They found that roughly 13% of sexually active women between the ages of 35 and 44 had slept with a man who was at least five years younger. So that's kind of what that was kind of their definition for a cougar dynamic. And I'm kind of thinking, so if you're 44 and you're sleeping with a man who's 39, you're a cougar now? Like, wow, I'm not really, I don't agree with that, but just I'm just going to keep reading this little quote that I have here. Um, Contrary to conventional assumptions, um, a majority of of these relationships were not flings. They lasted at least two years, and a sizable share of the cougars, quote unquote, are married to their younger partners. So whereas like a lot of the time we're taught to see these women as like being predatory and moving from man to man and, you know, just like wrecking Mm -hmm. them for... uh, for other women after that um they actually tend to be like Like committed relationships with nice ladies totally the term cougar itself implies that they are preying on someone right um and i'm gonna go i'm gonna bring it back to porn for a minute because i think that there's a dynamic there that is really important um that is really reflected in that sort of predatory uh nomenclature right so The main thing I think that, well, there's probably two things that a lot of people like about cougar porn and MILF porn. The first being that the women's bodies in MILF porn are more developed looking. Like literally a lot of, I wrote an article a few years ago for glamour.com specifically about ageism in porn. And we were talking about MILFs a lot. Um, And Caden Cross, who is a longtime performer and now like a very big deal director in the adult industry, um, was telling me that basically it's your look more than how old you are that categorizes you as a MILF or not a MILF at this point, because having big boobs, usually fake boobs, makes you a MILF. So she said, quote, fake boobs make you a MILF, especially now. In the past, everyone had them, but now they've gone out of style, which actually helps in terms of hitting the market you're looking for. Because a lot of performers who have fake boobs have them from back when it was popular to have them. So if you have fake boobs at this point, you're basically already in the like demographic because you're older. Mm. So basically like one thing that draws people to the MILF category is that they like women with bigger boobs and more developed looking bodies, which is legit and awesome. And the other thing that a lot of people are drawn to if they're into MILF porn... um, is that in most MILF porn, and I would argue in Hollywood and in the real world too, the dynamic between the older woman and her partner is very different because in MILF porn, et cetera, um, the older woman has more agency. She is more often the initiator of sex 
She knows what Hmm. she wants. She knows what she likes. And she takes a much more active and aggressive role. So if you are a person who is looking for someone, is looking for, you know, a female person to take control and like tell you what to do without getting into, you know, like kink dynamics, a MILF is much more likely to fulfill that role for you. So I think that's really important um, in a like, because it touches on a lot of things that we've mentioned already, which is that like, you know, a lot of women tend to be more comfortable with themselves and more comfortable with who they are as they get older. And we see that reflected in porn. Um, but also it, it like provides the mirror of what we're kind of taught to expect and to think is sexy from women, which is that they are young and therefore attractive because they're young. Um, and that they play a more passive and receptive role. And if you actually look at the numbers on porn websites, it looks like there's possibly more people out there who are into more active, more aggressive, and more dominant women. Just saying. I think that's cool. Hmm. I think that's cool, too. Uh, But I I told you earlier that I was reading, like, Life Stages and Native Women by Mm -hmm. Kim Anderson. Yeah. And there was an actual chapter on elders that really, like, I wanted to kind of close out what I have to say about it. Yeah, cool. Um, elders perform, like, in this in this book, she talks specifically about, like, um, Cree and Anishinaabe people. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how their elders perform both male and female duties in the Anishinaabe culture. And that was incredibly interesting to me because that meant that that means that gender was never static in tribal communities, but fluid, fluid mm-hmm. with age and fluid from person to person. And then that was kind of backed up by this ed- other article that I read in this book, Critically Sovereign, about Hawaiian um, people and how their relationships and their genders were fluid and how people who wanted to really um, fit in with the Western European society started to change the culture so that Mm. it would kind of look a lot like theirs in order to stay alive. Like this was an actual like life and death situation, but it was rooted so deeply in culture that it's hard to um, pull back out of it I guess right yeah. and it's not a matter of like when we're talking about like decolonizing something we're not looking at like looking back and redoing something through nostalgia right. but we're looking at the undoing of something that should have never been done in the first place yeah and, and, and so imagining a way to be without those structures and systems right exactly uh, in addition to that, uh, Kim Anderson said that elders were given more responsibility, like um, especially responsibility to like the kids. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to give like names, like tribal indigenous names to the kids. Mm-hmm. And the more names that they would get, the older that they would live. And so there was a connection <laughs> to like the elders and the life cycle, the young people would be directly interacting with old people every yeah. single day of their lives. And so then today, um, we see elders disappear at a certain point in our society, mm-hmm. whether that be from erasure on TV, because we stop, we start seeing elders less and less in the regular TV that we watch. Right. Um, whether that's like, uh, because they, our actual elders went to old folks' home or moved right. to Florida to retirement community. Mm-hmm. And that leaves a gap in the visual life cycle. Of right, youth. absolutely. And so um, to me, uh, that was like a connection to when you can't see where your life is going, when mm. at when at like 65 or even for like... Um, you know, children of color, like American Indian children, we see like people starting to 
disappeared at a much earlier age, 45, 50. Yeah. It's really hard to imagine what your life is going to be like in the end years. And so it's when you don't know how that's going to look, how can you expect kids not to commit suicide? I mean, right. it's part of the life cycle that needs to be, um, it's part of the visual life cycle that you need to be seeing so that they yeah. can see what old being old is like and not in a way that is like negative. Absolutely. Yeah, that's um, a really, really important point. Yeah, so... And that's not to say that ageism never existed in tribal societies. Like, clearly human beings are capable of it, and therefore it's possible to have done by, right. been done by anyone in the world. But I think it's really important to make sure that we're putting a type of old person out there that's real, three-dimensional, mm-hmm. and in a way that, you know, our kids aren't thinking that once they turn a certain age, they're no longer going to be, you know, beautiful and um, valid, valid, valid. And that's what it comes down to. Uh, The rules are made up and let's try and fix it all. (laughs) Yeah. Let's make everybody valid. The rules are made up and let's make everyone valid. Like that's the point of our entire series. Yeah. I like it. Let's just start putting that on like all of our shirts and everything. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so true. Like, I think about like times in my life that I have heard people say, like, whether in person or in movies, you know, like you're like going around a circle and and you're saying like, what's your biggest fear? And somebody will almost inevitably say old people. Have you you ever like experienced that? And like, I, I always used to see it as like, okay, well, clearly that person is afraid of death. And so seeing someone who's closer to death than they are is terrifying to them. That makes sense. But I think that what you just said is like a really important part of that. Like in so much of our modern culture for a variety of reasons, young people have been removed from older people, like physically removed from them. Like when I was growing up, you know, we would go to see my older relatives wherever they lived or they would come to our house or whatever, but they were not just like, they were not around. Like I couldn't just access my grandparents or my great aunts and uncles or anything when I wanted to, they lived away from us. And it really creates like, like a gap between like our, when our formative years, like when I was a kid and I was sort of forming my mental map of what life looks like and what I will look like at different parts of my life, I didn't have the access to older people and like what you were saying mm-hmm. where, you know, in native populations, like those old people literally almost don't exist um, because the life expectancy is much lower. And and then when you look at, you know, media and there's like so little representation of older people, there is this, it's like, there, there's just an absence where there should be like a robust population of people who are not just older, but are like, you know, repositories of lived experience that we could be right. learning from and treating really seriously. And we don't, we just don't have that much access to it. And we don't, we're sort of like conditioned not to take the people that are in our lives or that are represented seriously as like vital mm-hmm. living beings. And it does make that idea of aging and of old people scary because it is an unknown and like how could I become that and then you know you always hear the like the totally overplayed line in movies and stuff of the old person looking in the mirror and being like when did I get so old how did this happen like it's just you know like you just blank out and then one day you wake up and you're old and oh god your life is over like (laughs) Like I woke up this morning with a hunch you know and yeah when it just like happens when you turn that age apparently yeah I don't know yeah I mean all of that's true should we talk about our moms now (laughs) no I'm just kidding let's not do that (laughs) yeah let's tell everybody all about our moms (laughs) Uh, but as far as it goes my mom has given me a really good example of getting older because she is like extremely active (laughs) and and badass 
So good job, mom. Uh, my mom was literally sledding down hills in like the way secluded mountains, like just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, my mom sent me uh, a photograph of her extremely long walk through extremely deep snow across like many fields. She took a picture of like her footprints coming up this giant slope, which is like, and she took a picture of our house that I grew up in, like from where she was. And it was really far away. And that is a damn hard walk, like, especially with that much snow yeah. on the ground. Oh, we no. should make it so that our moms meet before, before we meet each other's moms somehow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be cool. Make our moms be besties. And then I, could, I think they, they would get, get along. They might. I think they would. Okay. All right. Well, we, <laughs> we should stop telling everybody about our moms. <laughs> People are going to be like yeah. triangulating all these things about our lives. My mom won't appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, all the rules are made up. Let's make everybody valid. I like it. All that. All right. Well, I think we're going to close it out here. Should I tell everybody about our plans for next week? Because I'm very excited about them. Yes. I am super stoked about this, too. So uh, our, our next show, fingers crossed, and I'm knocking on wood and doing all the things that it works out uh, schedule-wise, we are going to be talking to Adrian Jawort. Yeah. And they are going to talk about the doctrine of discovery and transsexuality. Oh, Although I'm I will so be excited. throwing in some other stuff in there about the Doctrine of Discovery, too, because as everyone knows, I've been dying to talk about this for yeah. some time now. Yeah, I'm I'm going to do like a little bit of research, but my main goal is to play the like, wow, I didn't know that role. So I'm just going to be an empty vessel to be filled. It's going to be great. Yeah, cool. I'm, yeah, this is going to be super, super exciting. Uh, some other future episodes that we have coming up, like I said, we plan on doing a live episode in the future, uh, even if it means us being on Zoom and doing it live from our own offices. True. Um, <sighs> we're going to do one on uh, disability with another guest, mm -hmm. um, Amanda Barr. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so those are some like really, really excellent like topics we have coming in yeah oh man well i'm psyched and i think this is a really good talk personally i think we banged out a great episode folks so yes. uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next time when we talk about the doctrine of discovery so bye, bye. let our love be a flame not an ember Say it's me that you want to dismember Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie As we dance to the masochism tango At your command, before you here I stand My heart is in my hand Ugh. It's here that I must be. My heart entreats. Just hear those savage beats. And go put on your cleats. And come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire. It's a flame with desire. Which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love, every time I hear drums. And I envy the rose that you held in your teeth, love, with the thorns underneath, love. Sticking into your gums Your eyes 
cast a spell that bewitches The last time I needed 20 stitches To sew up the gash that you made with your lash As we dance to the masochism tango Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain Then kick me once again and say we'll never part I know too well I'm underneath your spell So darling if you smell something burning it's my heart Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss tango.